of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord, that the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desire to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Uh, gracious God, please speak to us from your word in the scriptures. Please give us receptive and teachable hearts, and may your words bring joy to our lives. For Christ's sake, amen. The heart of Psalm 34 is found in the first three verses. I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I was the youngest of three boys. My two older brothers were five and seven years older than me. And so inevitably I ended up inheriting some of their clothes when they were too big for me and trying to grow into those clothes so they fitted me. 
And I think that's often the case when we read the Bible. When we read a psalm like Psalm 34, there is an invitation for us to grow up into the psalm. It may not express our present experience, but to read a psalm, or to read any part of the Bible as a matter of fact, is an invitation for us to grow up into it so that it becomes more part of our lives, more part of the way in which we think and act. And so here is a New Year's invitation to you to grow into this psalm. If you want to do it, a good way to do it is to read the psalm every day and to start turning the psalm into a prayer for yourselves. You'll do other Bible reading, but if you want to grow into this psalm, my advice is read it every day. I did that a few years ago with Psalm 90. I spent a year reading Psalm 90 every day and praying myself into it. It was an immensely rich experience. I recommend it. And if you read this psalm, if you make this psalm your own, if you own this psalm, if you meditate on this psalm and pray this psalm, you'll find that you do praise God more and more every day. And you'll find that as you praise God more and more, so you encourage others to praise God more and more as well. Isn't that wonderful? For the way the psalm works is that David praises God, but he also wants other people to hear him praising God and to praise God as well. So verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. I had to look up the word extol in the dictionary, and it said praise extravagantly. So you might like to use the word rave, I think. Is that still a word you people use? Uh, that's right. You can rave about God. Extol the Lord. That is, get excited about the Lord. And notice David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Not just when I remember to do so, but I'll make it a habit of my life. And I'll praise him in bad times as well as good times. I'll praise him, I'll extol him when my prayers are answered and when they don't seem to be answered as I want. I will extol the Lord at all times. Then he says in the second part of verse one, his praise will be always on my lips. Now this is a, a really important key to this psalm. You see, it's not just that he feels like praising God on the inside, not just an internal emotion, or not just that he thinks he ought to praise God, a sense of internal duty, but the praise of God is on his lips. That is, he expresses his praise. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I think it's C.S. Lewis who points out that praise which is not expressed is not fulfilled. If you, if you see a wonderful sunset or taste a delicious ice cream or meet a wonderful person, you can feel this is wonderful, but it's actually 
the, 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 your admiration, your love, your joy is more expressed when you actually say it. This is my favorite ice cream. That is a beautiful sunset. You are a wonderful person. Don't get them mixed up, by the way. Make sure that you get the right object each time. But uh, saying it actually helps you feel it. And one of the uh, quirks of uh, contemporary society is to think that uh, what really matters is what we feel or what we think. But actually what really matters is what we express in our words and our actions. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 2, I'll glory in the Lord, boast in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Then look at the second part of verse 2. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So you see why the praise of God must be on his lips. Because if the praise of God isn't on his lips, other people won't hear him praising. And one of the fascinating features of the psalm is that David is praising God with the hope that his praise will fuel other people to praise God. His praise of God will encourage other people to hope in God, even in difficult times, as he puts it here, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Later on, he calls them the brokenhearted, those who are in trouble. So he's praising God out loud because he wants to encourage others who may be discouraged to praise God. And that comes out so beautifully in verse 3 with the lovely invitation, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So there are two dynamics happening here. David is consciously focusing on God, praising him but also equally thinking of those around him who need to be encouraged to praise him as well. Well, you know how it is, don't you? If someone's always gloomy and always spreading bad news, they depress the level of excitement in a group, don't they? But if someone's enthusiastic about God, that lifts everyone's spirit. A friend, a, a former member of St. Jude's, uh, goes to another church nowadays, and uh, he, he he's also has a yacht, and he belongs to a yacht club and a church. And his comment is, when I go to the yacht club, all we talk about is yachts. When I go to church, we never talk about God. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's partly, I think, because if you're in a yacht club, all you have in common is your yacht but if you, have a, if you belong to a church, then actually you have much more in common, don't you? And you need to hear how other people's children are or how their studies are or how work is or something like that. But it would be really odd, wouldn't it, to belong to a yacht club and not talk about yachts and really belong, odd to belong to a church and not talk about God. Not talk about church, but talk about God. Paul writes in uh, Colossians chapter 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Listen to this. Not with very, very long sermons, 
but let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So are you a believer who teaches and admonishes your fellow believers? I hope so. And is it your experience that other believers teach and admonish, encourage you? I hope so. Because if that isn't happening, then according to Paul, the word of Christ, the message of Christ is not dwelling among us richly. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Before we continue looking at the psalm, there's one very important clue which will help you understand this psalm and indeed uh, make sense of the whole Bible. For the word Lord, capital letters, occurs often in this psalm. In the Old Testament, the Lord is God's name. God is what he does. God is his job, if I can put it that way. He's a God. Well, he's the God, as a matter of fact. But his name is the Lord throughout the Old Testament. So, to address the Lord is to address God by name. And one of the most remarkable moments in the Bible is when, after Jesus is risen from the dead, Thomas greets him, my Lord and my God, addressing him with the name of God as well as saying, you are my God, my Lord and my God. And Paul picks up this point very clearly in uh, Philippians chapter 2 when he says uh, that Christ humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus Christ has the name of God. And as we uh, read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, we read of the Lord who is the Spirit. So when you read the word Lord in the Old Testament, you can think to yourself, well, that was the God whom the old people, Old Testament people knew as the Lord, but we know him as the Lord and the Lord Jesus and Lord the Holy Spirit. It's not a different God. It's the same God in Old Testament and New Testament, but we know more about him. We know that this God is the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will extol the Lord at all times. I will glory in the Lord. Glorify the Lord with me. 
let us exalt his name together. This psalm, I think, is a great encouragement, but I think it's also a great challenge for the name of the Lord, our God, the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord who is the Spirit to be on our lips as we praise him, so others hear and are encouraged by our praising God. So there are two dynamics here. David is addressing God, but he's also conscious of those who are around him, the afflicted, those who are in trouble. And you hear those two dynamics in the next, uh, next few verses. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Then, thinking of others, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Then again about himself, verse 6, this poor man called, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then David's talking about everyone who calls on the Lord. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Do you see how he's... Uh, talking about his own experience and then saying, but actually, this is not special for me. This is for everybody. Please be encouraged by my witness. Well, it's so remarkable, isn't it, uh, that uh, when he's talking about himself in verse 4, he says, the Lord answered me and delivered me from all my fears and then talking about himself in verse 6, he says, this poor man called and the Lord saved him out of all his troubles. Do you think, wow, that's an amazing thing to say, that the Lord del delivered him from all his fears and saved him from all his troubles. And you might think, well, this is actually a bit unrealistic. Uh, David is here uh, giving a picture of a kind of a comfortable, unrealistic religious cocoon in which you don't face the difficulties and troubles of life. But if you know the book of Psalms well and you know David's life well, you'll know that he had lots and lots of troubles and lots and lots of fears. And indeed, there are lots of Psalms which are about fears and troubles, lots of David's Psalms about fears and troubles. When he says that uh, the Lord delivered me from all my fears, and uh, this poor man called, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I think he's not making a universal statement that he never had any troubles or fears again. He's saying, I was in a difficult situation and the Lord delivered me. Isn't that wonderful? He rescued me from my fears and my troubles. What a wonderful combination to be delivered of fears and troubles as well. But he's not, we're not saying for a moment that's universal experience. He might have been praying that God would deliver him for a long time. And perhaps he had to wait and keep trusting God over a long time, even in the midst of fears and troubles. And if that's your situation at this present moment, you'll find many of David's Psalms in the book of Psalms to be a great encouragement. But from a New Testament perspective, of course, we who know about Jesus Christ, we won't see this final deliverance from all our fears and troubles until the Lord Jesus returns. 
then we will be changed. Then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. On that day, all the enemies of God will be defeated. There'll be no reason for fears. There will be no troubles. And I think it's characteristic of Christians at the beginning of the 21st century, in the West at least, that our focus on this life distracts us from our glorious future. We're thinking all the time, am I happier than I was yesterday? (laughs) Will life be more difficult tomorrow? We're so focused on this life that we forget our glorious future. We're so engaged in this life that we often forget the eternal perspective. I'm not saying be so heavenly minded you're of no earthly use. I'm not saying we can forget our troubles and our fears and ignore them. But I am saying we see them in the right perspective when we keep the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ before our eyes at all times. And indeed, the New Testament tells us that if we do this, then we can, like David, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes, Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've called according to his purpose. Romans 8 again, I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see the life of David, the trust of David, the praise of David come to its full flower in the New Testament. And we see why David was so right to entrust himself to God and to trust God. Because all God's promises were fulfilled in Christ. And when Christ returns, all will be joy and bliss. But even David can say in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. We can taste and see the goodness of the Lord even now. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Do you watch cooking shows at all? They're so exciting, aren't they? They start with an unpromising looking prawn, and by the time they finish with it, it looks absolutely delicious. Well, so the cook tells you, but it might taste really ghastly, mightn't it? You don't know because you can't taste it. You, you watch the show by faith. You trust that that, that pie or that d- dessert is, looks, is, is scrumptious as it looks, but it might just be painted on, you know. They do, you know, jolly up the pictures and so on to make it look better than it is. As uh, so much uh, in, common, in, co- in present day life, you admire the presentation and you don't actually know the reality at all. 
But with God, you can taste the goodness of God now. Taste and see is the invitation. Try it and see. Taste God's forgiveness. Taste the beauty of God. Taste the goodness of God. Try the compassion of God. Taste it. See what it tastes like. <laughs> Receive it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Well, so Sam talked about uh, fears in last week's sermon on Psalm 46. And here the instruction is to fear the Lord. And in just uh, a few verses, verse uh, 15, uh, the, David says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's good to fear the Lord because then we need not fear anything else or anyone else. Fearing the Lord sets us free from all other fears. When we have the big fear, the fear of God, the little fears will vanish because if we fear God, we reverence God as the mighty ruler of all things and all people and all powers and all situations. And we trust him as our loving heavenly father. And because we receive all of God's blessings in Christ, safety, protection, compassion, love, forgiveness, encouragement, deliverance, hope, we need have no fears at all. But you might be thinking, you know, the Old Testament talks about fearing God, but does the New Testament tell us to fear God? Well, as a matter of fact, Jesus does. There are a remarkable uh, couple of verses in Luke chapter 12. Listen to this. Jesus uh, teaches his disciples, hear his words, fear him who has the authority to throw you into hell, that is God, I tell you, fear him. Wow. But then a few verses later, he says to the disciples, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So how do we tie that together? Jesus saying, fear God, and then don't fear God. Well, in the first occasion, he's warning the disciples against hypocrisy, against pretending to be disciples, but living disobedient lives. And he's saying, well, you, you can't escape God. God sees our hearts. You can't get away with that. Fear the one who can throw you into hell. So fear God, the judge. That's great advice, I think. There are some sins I don't commit only because I fear God, 
But then in case they're worried that God doesn't love them, he says, are you not worth more than a few sparrows? Don't be afraid. And indeed, later on in Luke 14, he says, fear not, it's your father's joy to give you the kingdom. So to those who are prone to hypocrisy, he says, fear God. To those who are nervous, he says, don't be afraid, trust your heavenly father. There are two medicines there, aren't there? Make sure you take the right one. Jesus knows the disciples at that time need both. Fear God the judge, but trust God your heavenly father. Don't be afraid of him. This ties in with the Bible's idea of refuge. We just read in verse 8, Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. You see, there's no refuge from God. You can't hide from God. You can't build up a protecting wall to keep God away. God is stronger than we are. The only safety, the only safe place is in God. And if you're a person who's been running away from God in fear... All you need to do is turn around and trust God and you'll find that he is your refuge and strength. No refuge from God, but in him a certain refuge through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, come my children, listen to me, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We can summarize that as watch your words and do good. If you desire good, then do God. Do good. We tend to worship success and we tend to underestimate the value of goodness everyday goodness. We tend to worship achievement and ignore the immense value to our world, to ourselves, the immense value of doing good to others in small ways and in big ways. God is greatly honored by those who do good. It's a sign that they fear the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their names from the earth. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them, he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is David's sympathy for others, his desire, his compassion, that they come to God and find him to be their refuge and strength. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from him, him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Well, we know that's true, don't we, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. For in Christ, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What David trusted, we know because we know about the Lord Jesus. We know that he died for our sins. We know that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us pray. O gracious Lord, help me to extol you at all times. And may your praise be always on our lips. When we glory in you, may those who are afflicted hear and rejoice. So may we all glorify you and exalt your name forever. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.